All right, faithful listeners, welcome back to Around with Stephen Cole. I am your host, Steve Yamada, along with Mr. T. Cole Newton here at 12 Mile Limit, coming to you pre-recorded from my Mid-City Bar. We have a guest in from out of town. Uh, New Orleans hosted this past week the Southern Regional U.S. Bartenders Guild Conference. It's an annual affair, and we're lucky to be graced with the presence of Mr. Mike Jones from Atlanta, Georgia. Say hey, Mike. Hello, hello, hello out there. This is Mike from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, representing the Consulate Restaurant on uh, 10 Temp Street in Midtown Atlanta. Right on, right on. Well, we go back uh, a little a little ways, Mike. Um, did me, you, and Cole all meet pretty much at the same time, I think, in Atlanta? Yes, we did. Because the first time, I, it was at our conference. It was yeah. the first conference that we had. And I believe that's when I met everyone. That was four years ago now. <laughs> and that, man, Ancient history in bar years. That, yeah, <laughs> that was the first year of Tales for me, the first year for conference. That was first year of USBG stuff, so... Uh, yes, that was where we met. Right on, right on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy to think, like, what has evolved in four years. Like, uh, you know, you guys hosted the very first Southern Regional Conference for the USBG, and at that time, it was very kind of slapdash. It's like, all right, we've got a block of rooms. We have one day worth of programming. We're going to do two seminars. I, I know I got asked to do a seminar at the very last minute. Um, they were just like, uh, can you talk about New Orleans drinks? I was like, okay. And then, uh, luckily, uh, the author, Elizabeth Pierce was there, who's a friend of ours. That's and right. I was like, the night before, I was like, hey, I don't know if, uh, I'm super qualified to do this. Will, will you come and help me out with this? And we threw something together in like 10 minutes and it, it turned out I'll all right. That, though. Yeah. Yes. That's, yeah. actually, I always thought that y'all did it so well, though. <laughs> I thought it was a thing that y'all were doing at that time. Fortunately, Elizabeth is a professional writer and cocktail tour guide and historian and does major, like, large group presentations on that subject at, for a living. So she was just well-versed to come in and be like, oh, you want me to do this? Yes, I will give this talk that I give. So she was definitely... That was plug and play for her. Yeah. I think, um, we were lucky though with being like, you know, it was my first opportunity to be able to present at one of these conferences. But, uh, with that as well, we were lucky that being so new, uh, the, the level of, uh, or the quality of, of presentations at these conferences just seems to go up and up. So in four years, yeah. like you can see the difference of a lot of the presentations that were at this conference were, you know, really nice PowerPoint presentations, very professionally uh, applied and everything like that as well, too. Uh, so, Cole, you actually, me and you got to work on a presentation as well. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, it was a, the from a seed of an idea that Mark Shetler, our chapter president, came up with when we were trying to figure out some programming for this conference. This is a few months ago. And we decided to create a, a game format presentation that would break down bartender decision-making processes that are usually subconscious. We're always presented with a number of tasks. Any given bartender on any given shift, even if it's not a particularly busy shift, there's a, a million things you have to do, and a lot of them you could do in any order, in theory, and no one really tells you a lot of the time how to prioritize those tasks. So... What we did is we broke it down to really analyze the ways those decisions are made. Steve and I ended up doing it together. Steve being a noted board game and just a, a friendly competition expert in general, I think. 
uh, he he seemed like a natural person to bring in because Mark was really overseeing a lot more of the conference than either Steve or I were. So it, it made sense to take that off of his plate, and Steve was the natural fit there. And we designed a a game show. We got four groups from within the conference participants. Mike here was a uh, the our team leader for the winning team. Actually for the winning team. Yes. I guess we should probably throw a note to uh Campari Spirits or Campari Brands. They were generous enough to sponsor. They provided us with materials and the winning team was from Espolón Tequila. Yeah, it'll be a uh... This will be nice. I think this is a good end. Maybe one day they'll sponsor this podcast too. And <laughs> <laughs> one day. We'll, we'll, we won't be hobbyists forever. Right. Right. So, uh, what were your experiences at this conference, Mike? What do you think of the presentations in general, the information and just the overall conference? Again, piggybacking off of what you gentlemen just, uh, highlighted, the conference elevates every year. And, um, I know probably the most important piece and we might speak about this the gentleman who talked about television and you know programming um now that we are visible in uh, pretty much the country i think now bartenders are now it's a vocation and we're seeing that now we want to see more presence when it comes to radio television magazine i mean all of it and um how to do that I think we all still kind of, you know, lack in that knowledge. Some of us don't even know how available <laughs> most things are. Um, I think another thing that was, um, besides your board game, I thought the game was <laughs> really fun. And actually, uh, that's a great idea t- to do team building in our own chapters because we need stuff like that, <laughs> especially, uh, with Atlanta, which I'm sure I'll probably touch over, um, about where we are and where we're even headed as a city. Um, but I think those things were important, but definitely those things stuck out for me. Um, of course we talked about sexual harassment, um, and of course rape, um, long overdue. Um, in a discussion and how we are dealing with ourselves and our fellow employees, whether behind the bar or in a restaurant in general. Um, and to be honest, I've had a few friends who went through sexual harassment. I mean, not necessarily having to be as far as rape, but nonetheless violations. And, um, you just never know. And I think that was a good thing to touch on. It's a silent issue. And, um, I definitely will be talking with my bartenders when I get back because there's some things I just didn't know. <laughs> like, yeah. and, you know. Dude, I think one of the things that you, you said that, that, uh, that you know some people that have really dealt with harassment behind the bar or in front of the bar because it, it, it definitely happens on both sides. Um, that, but not rape. Um, but one of the things that these types of seminars show people is that it's part of a continuum that, that the sense of entitlement to primarily women's sexuality by men mm-hmm. again primarily it can anyone can be an aggressor and anyone can be a victim but it's almost always straight men against women uh mm-hmm. that that it exists in a continuum so the 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 sense of ownership that you have when you harass someone a stranger or a coworker or anyone is the same mentality that leads to rape so for we can't address one without the other you can't just mm-hmm. brush off harassment because it's all part of that same rape culture that we've been 
inundated in for so long. Yeah, it's a big matter of just starting these conversations and then reinforcing the fact that, you know, I think too long at a lot of these conferences, um, the you, you would get these presentations that would be an hour and an hour half long. And mm-hmm. the whole concept of these presentations was that there was a solution. Like by sitting through this one hour presentation, you there will no longer be sexual harassment in your workplace. And that's just not realistic. It's not. It's one of those things where it's like this is a systematic thing that's been going on for a long period of time. And it's up to all of us to recognize these things and start speaking up and addressing these issues. And I think that applies to one, that sexual harassment and assault awareness seminar. But I think it applies to a lot of things as well. Um, yeah. So not to change the subject too abruptly, <laughs> uh, you did talk about the uh, the uh, social media seminar. So um, that was a really interesting seminar as well. It was hosted by a gentleman who represents Real McCoy Rum, um, who... Uh, just won a whole bunch of Emmys, apparently, for a documentary they did about uh, Rum Bootlegger, which is mm-hmm. where the name for his brand comes from as well. Um, so it was really interesting to get a professional from that side who kind of crossed over as being a, a bar, yeah. not a, I won't say a bar professional, but within the liquor industry, the industry professional. but having a ton of media credentials as well. Because I've been to several of these social media, like how to increase your brand or how to like represent yourself seminars and i i i point blank hot take on this one i find 90 percent of them to be completely worthless uh they're basically just like this is what twitter is this is what instagram is you should consider facebooking more it's just like no shit like i mean like the orlando uh oh no that one was the hash, that one was that, insulting that, <laughs> that was bad yeah like teaching you how to uh um hashtag yeah so <laughs> Do so, not put where you are located. Yeah. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. It's that weird thing with social media because I think I'm a huge proponent of bartenders building up their brand. And I'd really like to explore this concept a little bit more with both of you guys because I think, you know, all three of us at this table have really big personalities within our market. And it's who we are that makes us as bartenders marketable people who can be very successful and grow within our communities. So uh, why don't we throw it over uh, to Cole real quickly. He has some good thoughts about this. We were talking about this last night after that seminar. Yeah, one of the things that the uh, the gentleman who presented yesterday brought up, and it's something that has occurred to me for a long time now, is that there aren't any real celebrity bartenders. And, I mean, part of that is that the, the mixology, to use the term, uh, world was about 20 years behind where the food world is so people started realizing that locally sourced ingredients in the kitchen and taking time and care that people were willing to wait people were willing to pay a little bit more for quality food that happened i think in the 80s and 90s at a time when bartending was still very much like sweet everything teeny type drinks and so maybe the the rise of the celebrity chef what it we'll just see that in a few years but there are also some other obstacles that steve and i identified uh the reluctance of different brands to work with each other on programming perhaps the cultural resistance to um sort of a puritanical resistance to uh drinking generally you know everyone eats it's something we all have in common not everyone drinks so there's just less common ground there uh, but it does seem like there, and really, what, what I, when people ask about celebrity bartenders, the, the most famous bartenders in the world have either been dead for 150 years or are fictional. I think Ted Danson is probably still the most famous bartender in the world. 
And if you had to name some celebrity bartenders, Mike, who would you say, who would you say are the, the most prominent celebrity-esque bartenders that we have in our, in our industry? Uh, who's the gentleman that does bar rescue? <laughs> John Taffer? Or yeah. the, so, or the mixologist they bring? The, uh, the funny thing is, that's is probably about as, like, mainstream <laughs> as you, or, well, not saying we're gonna get because we do plan to be there. <laughs> but as far as where we are now, that's, he's been the one that people talked about. But, um, I guess we can say Del DeGroff or Tony, um, Tony Abaganum. Yeah. Or Tony. I think he, um, those two, but you know, Del, Del is in another phase. All of these gentlemen are in, other phases of their lives i don't even think they care to be you know in the forefront like that as much as the younger uh people that are in the industry now Mm -hmm. um and really that's that's really all i can think of for as far as popular i i love this too because i think we have several casual listeners among our our faithful listenership i think um and throwing out names like Dale DeGroff and um, Tony Abuganum, they're just like, who the hell is that? You know, like I could say Anthony Bourdain, and I can guarantee every single person who listens to this podcast is going to say, I know who Anthony Bourdain is. Even mm-hmm. if you don't know, if you've never read one of his books, even if you've never watched one of his TV shows, he's got that level of cultural saturation. And there are probably at least half a dozen, maybe a dozen chefs who are there or have been there at some point in their careers. Emeril Lagasse, um, uh, Guy Fieri, and regardless of what you think about his cred, he's famous. Mm-hmm. People know who he is. And there is not one professional bartender who has that level of name recognition that you could stop the average person on the street and say their name and they would know who you were talking about. I think a flair bartender would probably become big. Have you heard of that Tom Cruise guy? He's a pretty great bartender. <laughs> yeah. People keep calling me that <laughs> that's, sometimes. That's but. arguably the second most famous bartender after Ted Danson is John, Tom Cruise. John Taffer. Ted Danson and Tom Cruise. Yeah. And then a distant second is, a distant fourth, sorry, a distant fourth is Jerry Thomas, who's been dead for 150 years. Yeah. And there you go. So if we consider Bar Rescue to be the uh, most successful bar television show or, I, I mean, you look at this model of the show, it's, it's the, it would be arguably the most successful bar industry show that's on TV right now. But I think there's inherent issues that they don't, they don't address properly you know they don't they don't represent our our business or the modern style of what our business is appropriately and in that way i think that frustrates a lot of us bartenders i mean like for that to be the outside view like maybe sometimes that's the issue is like the consumers who would be interested in watching a show about bars or reading more articles or books about bartenders it's kind of like you know they're the media that's handed to them is cocktail the media that's handed to them is bar rescue uh, so let's let's just look at Bar Rescue right now. None of us have skin in the game, I don't think. Are you guys planning on being consulting mixologists for Bar, Bar Rescue anytime soon? I applied once, and I will apply again if the opportunity presents itself, because it is the only real platform that's reaching yeah. a lot of people. So okay. we'll look at this as constructive criticism, not not putting <laughs> down Bar Rescue. But um, what are some of the things? Let's start with Mike over here. What are some of the things about Bar Rescue that you think that they get wrong, or that they would be benefited by changing? I've only seen, and I'll be honest, I only, I don't watch much TV. The bar rescue episodes I have seen, it's, it's almost like just having a health inspector that's, or they're coming through to look at your, tell you what's off and what's wrong. I 
don't know anything about the development of the bartenders. Um, maybe it's just about how it should be set cleanliness. I mean, it's the same thing with the kitchen. I mean, for the kitchen shows too. Um, but really I haven't seen enough of them to really be able to criticize. It's very entertaining. I mean, on our side, cause we're yeah. looking at, Oh man, look, they got crushed with make sure you go check your fridges tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> it, right? It's just like, think about that. But it's like he signed up for this show and it's just like, wait a minute. Like I'm not, I'm not going to do any cleaning on my bar right now, even though I know one day John Taffer's going to come and yell at me and make me cry. That exactly. Yeah. I think one of the things about it is that John Taffer seems like a reasonable enough person from what I've heard about him off camera, but he has the big personality because that's what plays well on TV and I, I, I don't have any ill will against him. I've never met him personally. I can't speak to his credentials even. I don't know enough about him. But he's made enough gaffes. I mean, everyone's going to make errors at one point or another. But there were incidents last year where he was very publicly mistaken about some fairly basic spirit knowledge and there, uh, with the, the mezcal, the mezcal incident, and the mezcal. Yeah. Like, and then there was another, for another everybody situation. out there real quickly. Uh, mescaline is not in mezcal. That is not a thing. <laughs> That's false cognate, everybody. Yes. Uh, also there was another incident wow. similarly where he, it appeared that he was on a show and they had set up to make an old fashioned, but he was, he thought that they were set up to make a Manhattan. So he said he was making a Manhattan and then basically made an old fashioned. And again, you know, people, anyone who's on camera that much of their lives is prone to those kind of errors, but it, it, I think undermined his credibility with the cocktail community, especially because those two things happen very close to one another. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that a lot of people are kind of reluctant, I think, to take him seriously as a result. So the, the kind of bars that he is able to reach, the kind of bars that he was able to work with, and the kind of bartenders who, like, the every, not every, but I know a lot of chefs who watch Top Chef and no reservation, watch a lot of the food related programming and think it's very good, very compelling, learn a lot of tricks from it. And I don't know a single cocktail bartender who watches Bar Rescue out of anything other than just to, to, to hate watch it. And again, I've, I haven't seen, like Mike, I haven't seen enough episodes to to speak to it. I don't think I've seen an episode of Bar Rescue from start to finish, so I can't really judge the program. Right. But I know a lot of people don't hold it in high regard because they don't have a lot of respect for his uh credentials when it comes to, you know, high end spirit knowledge Is and, still and classic cocktails. Mm-hmm. Still still running. I think. I mean you don't I, I don't I cut cable. You know, I'm straight on the Netflix Amazon at this point. So uh to that point a little bit, um I, I think this crosses over with both what both of you guys are saying, and my biggest problem with it is, and it is the same problem with the transition from Kitchen Nightmares from the British show to the American show, is they put a time limit on it, um, where it's like, in three days, we're going to fix, I think it's three days, we're going to fix every problem in your establishment. And honestly, that's very insulting to the people who have opened up restaurants and run businesses on a regular basis. Like, there's nothing you can do within a three-day time scope to, like, fix completely fix a business and I, I don't know if they do a follow-up show like you know sometimes they do one of those things like we fix it and then we came back to check to see how this bar is doing now so i'm not sure if that's within their formatting but um i don't know like a, a nice remodel on a place and one day of training for your staff isn't going to change anything and in a way too i think that's my biggest issue with that show is that 
they take this staff, like all these bartenders, and you know these are probably people who've been in the, in the industry for a long period of time, and they try to introduce like craft techniques or new speed techniques and efficiency and things like that. But then they try and make it seem like it only takes one day to learn these skills when it can take you know an entire career to hone some of these skills. It's something you keep working at that you keep improving on. So it kind of simplifies what we do as bartenders. I'm not saying our job is like super hard, but like <laughs> in that scope, it makes it seem just like you can't learn like how to do nothing. it in three days. Yeah, and I think it in, in a way too. It's like when you see a chef demonstrating like knife skills or a molecular gastronomy technique or something like that, you know, somebody's like, wow, that's really impressive. When you're like showing somebody, it's like, okay, to pour one and a half ounces, you turn the bottle up here and you count this long. I think uh, the typical uninated non-industry person is going to look at that and just be like, that's dumb. I could do that, right? I do think that's that, Mike. I, w- I, w- I was a little skeptical when you said that a flair bartender could be the real celebrity bartender breakthrough person, but that's the, the kind of knife skills that people that make for good television. Flair is the kind of bartending that makes and for good television. When I said that, it, it, and I'm glad you brought that back up, the um, the flair bartender it looks good with TV. Um, and for those out there that's wondering what flair bartending is, that's those guys that you see juggling their bottles and never pour anything into the jigger. Um, and I'm just playing all my flair bartenders. <laughs> I, I love y'all, but no, really, you see them flipping and, um, it's good to the eyes. I mean, it's, I like to see it. And we had a seminar <laughs> actually yesterday. I almost forgot that was one of my favorite seminars too. Because of that, how do we incorporate, you know, or really acknowledge the flair that we already do, but mm-hmm. we just never really called it flair. Right. But I mean, and, and it's good to the eyes. My thing is with bar, I don't, I think I might have said this after the seminar to the gentleman, um, that was hosting it. We're going to have to attach something else to the bartender to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, like we talk about no reservation or something like that. Maybe it would be an episode, let's say us three, we trek through the Caribbeans. Mm-hmm. Like, and we're going through all the places that the pirates would have hit. And then, you know, at the end of that or something, we'll end up in a bar somewhere and we're getting a, I don't know, a rum runner, like, or some type of, famous caribbean cocktail that we would have down there it would have to be something fun like Steve that. And I, so I love this we were that. actually talking last night we were like pitch your show to me right now so okay so let me get this straight so basically it'd be like you would take some bar professionals uh mm-hmm. and then kind of force them to take some sort of journey and their reward at the end would kind of be like to get this great cocktail or the journey would be like you know at the very end you get to try like, you, you get to this cocktail the drink of that place like if we were in Brazil, mm-hmm. like imagine that trip. Yeah, you know, no, I, mean, I don't want to. I watched uh, Anaconda like again recently. So. Why would go, you do that to yourself? I don't you know. John Boyd is amazing in that movie. No, but other than that, it's, <laughs> well, it's amazing. He's amazingly campy. It's not like a. Com- it's not a convincing performance, but it's a compelling performance. <laughs> what is he supposed to convince me of? that he's a giant snake hunter? I don't know how to be convinced of that. <laughs> I do I think there's, there's, there's definitely room. Like I think a bartender <laughs> travel log kind of show is is a format that would work, and it, like this guy and the kind of cooking shows that people watch not the kind of cooking shows because i'm talking about it differently the kind of cooking shows that people watch are competition based the kind of shows that people watch that are about chefs 
aren't about cooking. They're not educational in the way that they're showing you how to cook food. They're, they're travel logs. That's what No Reservations was. That's what Weird exactly. Foods with Andrew Zimmer is. That's what Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives is. They're all about going to places and meeting people. And I, there's, I think there's definitely, I think there, and we, we talked, we were, again, Steve and I were talking about this last night. Arguably, a show like this has already been proven to be successful. I don't know if you remember Insomniac with David Tell. David Tell's a comedian and he had a show that was late night on Comedy Central and he would basically be, just go to a different city for each episode and mostly he did a bunch of stuff where he would go like visit people who were at work in the middle of the night like uh like go to zoos and watch people feed nocturnal animals and things like that it was a pretty interesting show and he was a funny guy but mostly he was just going to bars and meeting people who were at bars in the middle of the night and it was more about the guests in the bars than it was about the bartenders or the bars themselves but visiting these bars and and meeting the people in different cities i think you can use that and but focus a bit more on the bars themselves on the management on the bartenders and do something like that and you could do that in other countries you could so give me the give me the pitch cole so who would be what would the host be like what would they do what's the format of your show uh i think uh, well, I'm of course going to be the host because huh? I. Uh, who else is going to be the first celebrity bartender? It's got to be call me. it take it twelve mile to the limit. Take it twelve mile <laughs> to the limit. Uh, maybe deep dives with T. Cole Newton. I think that'd be a good name. Uh, but basically, uh, this is the pi- this is the pitch that I gave to Steve last night. So any producers out there that are listening, I'm I'm willing to pull the trigger right now on this concept. Is that we visit one bar per episode in a different city. Even in the same city for a while, maybe start with a season about a city like New Orleans that has a really pervasive bar culture. It's a lot of different kinds of venues. And you spend uh, a third of the episode, you divide it with the commercial breaks into three different chunks. You spend a third of the episode getting to know the the owners or management or whoever is in charge of operating the bar. Maybe people who book the music, people who make the decision makers behind the bar. You spend a little time getting to know them. Then you take a step out and you get to know the staff. You get to know the the cooks. You get to know the bartenders. You get to know the bar backs. You get to know the janitors. You get to know all the people that make the bar work. And then you take another step back from there, and you get to know the guests. You get to know the regulars. You get to see the kind of people that pop in on an average weekend. And that really would give people a complete picture of what and just one bar per episode and really do, like I said, a deep dive into the operation of the bar and what it means to its community. Cause we don't, we often talk about how a good bar is supposed to be a real hub for a community. And to, so getting to know the people that are affected by that, the people that make it happen. I think I, I would watch that show. I think more, um, it should be multiple things. Like that's a good concept to do. Travel log is a good concept that we can do with the bar. Um, and also speed rack. Mm. Speed rack would be excellent on TV. And I'm surprised that, that is an amazing that, suggestion. I would watch a season of speed rack on TV, like see that follow some of the uh, competitors while they're training. And then like the competition happens and you can like live broadcast the entire competition and then like. I would watch that. That would be amazing. I think Speed Rack is the greatest cocktail competition that's happening. Steve, do you want to talk a little bit to our non-cocktail-centric listeners about what Speed Rack is? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, So Speed Rack was the creation of two bartenders. I believe they're both from New York, but it's uh, Lynette Marrero and uh, one of the Mix sisters. I believe it's Ivy Mix because Testa's production. They're both twins, so it's a little bit confusing, but I'm pretty sure it's Ivy. Um, And they put together this competition that is an all-women bartending competition 
to uh to raise money for breast cancer research and treatment um i believe so um they go to different cities. It started off as a smaller competition. It's gotten very big now, but they basically host regional competitions where they go to different cities and invite people to come. And the whole point of the competition is to make drinks as quickly as possible. So it's a head-to-head competition where two bartenders, uh, they're given four or five random drinks. They get a list of like a hundred drinks, but then the judges can just pick whatever they want to from that list. They give them, uh, four or five drinks that they have to, have to make. And then the judges try the drinks the minute after they make them, and then they add time onto their score depending on how well they make them. And at Cole, all three of us have been done competitions before. Um, usually the judging process is separated from cocktail competitions, and there's something about this. I mean, I seem to rant a little bit about the ego of bartenders, but like you know, we we do put a lot of ourselves into like the glass and everything like that, and to. Basically, like, if you're a bartender and you're on stage and you just had to bartend as quickly as you could at a bar that's not your bar, and then the person judging you is, you know, one of our well-known professionals, maybe somebody you look up into the industry, and then they just start tearing apart your cocktail, like, <laughs> it's brutal. Uh, so, like, a lot of respect to the competitors and the people who have won that competition. But um, you can see, I mean, this sounds interesting, right? This is the kind of TV show I'd want to watch, right? Yeah. No, I would, I would, yeah, I would follow, like, five people and follow them and then watch them compete against each other and the other, you know, dozen people that I don't know how many people the individuals cool get. For Vice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. Um, world class could have a, uh, series, I think, um, where like Psalm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, shit, some got a damn <laughs> documentary, even, even wine is in the game. Like, <laughs> some has got in there. Yeah. And, and just now that I think about it, they have a documentary in. Well, there's, there, there's a documentary about, that's primarily about craft bartending. What there's, was it? There's what two was it at this point, well, too. There's a uh, Hey Bartender. Hey Bartender, bartender is the one I was Bartender at Large as well, Eric Castro's yeah. movie. Oh, which, I haven't seen that. Which. I haven't either. Which to me, um, I would, I have so many concepts I would think would work for TV, man. Like, I mean, punch. Like, imagine, like, it's silly. We're waking up in the morning and it's, it's like on the screen, it says 528. We're packing <laughs> and getting ready to take Marta in Atlanta down to the airport and we're about to go to India and in Indonesia and we're going there because we're going to go see a rock. <laughs> for and, for those who are listening, that's A R R A C K a rock, not I R A Q a rock. And we're, we're going to talk flight. about <laughs> and we're going to talk about punch, something that preceded you know um, cocktails by at least two hundred years. So we're so that's something that's cool, mm-hmm. being in a whole another part of the world, and you're tying in. The sugar tray or, uh, you know, sugar cane, um, coffee, um, different types of, you know, produce or whatever mm. it may be. And how it got around. I mean, we could do any, any content we want. We're only just talking about the bar now as mm-hmm. opposed to the kitchen because all of it goes hand in hand. I think one thing that we miss is that it's still culinary. Mm-hmm. Like the bar, I mean, this is just liquid food. In the scientific, I mean, we can go through the science of it, but I still have to use some sort of produce 
to be able to create this end result. Mm. You know, and in that, I mean, we could talk about rum. We could talk about whiskey. We could, I mean, so many things. And who would watch it? I mean, somebody would. Maybe a few bartenders would. Or I guess that's the point too. I mean, like watch it. We, we, keep, we keep going back and we're saying like these are shows that I would watch. But how do you reach Middle America? How do you reach like you know? I think p- people are fascinated with bars, though. Everyone you talk to in the in this non bartending world wants is like, oh, I always wanted to own a bar. I hear that every day. Or it's like, oh, how can I become a bartender? I've always wanted to be a bartender. It's mm. what we do is fascinating to the average consumer. So I don't think the, the lack of interest is what's holding it back. And also, I mean, arguably the most, when we talk about Ted Danson, the, one of the most popular and well critically acclaimed sitcoms of the last 40 years, Cheers, is set in a bar. It ran for 12 seasons. It's one of my favorite shows. Yeah. I, I'd almost yeah. think like yeah. the show that might work best would be like hard knocks basically like you know you would like Ooh. pick like that bar and just like you know this team's coming up and you follow all the all the staff members aka players or anything like that like opening it up and just like keep it real gritty and just like realistic you know like there's a lot of pitfalls i mean i think that's where like i don't know there's there's this aspect of a uh, like these travelogue shows that's like it's a fantasy right i was talking to cole about how with anthony bourdain like it's it is the food's a part of it but it's really like this idea of making travel seem more accessible that i think like people fetishize a little bit it's just like opening up the world to people it's like i'm just this regular guy from new york and now look at my life it's amazing you know that's what people really appreciate to me about anthony bourdain um i don't think that we can really provide that like the that's the one of the things about bars is we're open and accessible to everybody so i mean there's no <laughs> not really a big barrier of entry to it it's like and honestly like i think a lot of the high end stuff just looks a little silly like if i had like my psalm flipping around on a high wire i'd be like i'm going to a different restaurant right now <laughs> thanks a lot actually i've been to a restaurant where they did that it was a uh, the texas day brazil in chicago they had one of those like three story like wine cellars and they had somebody on like uh, suspension system flying around like crouching tiger hidden dragon it was dumb we didn't drink wine <laughs> but um i, I think we the aspect that in our restaurant the aspect that there's, uh, <laughs> too much fun at the end of shift. <laughs> too much fun more serious in the shift <laughs> uh, too many accidents at the end of the shift i mean right i would up. try like a i would get on that well i wouldn't because i'm too probably too heavy for that but i would get somebody to go to the third story and open a bottle and just try and pour it down <laughs> <laughs> Um, top shelf wine laybacks from an aerialist (laughs) so i don't think the accessibility and to me it's like like i've I've gotten a little bit burned out about going to a lot of bars i like seeing new bars but i don't want to just be like i want to see five bars in a row you know like i'd rather to me when i travel we talked about this at a previous episode i like to hunker down someplace and get a feel for a place and talk to the regulars and things like that and i honestly think the hook that could reach most people is just kind of the hardships and the drama that's you know like you know involved with opening your own place or like you know struggling to like make a life out of things and i think that's the thing that could connect with uh you know the big demographic with television at this point is 18 to 35 i think is like what a lot of people are trying to hit but it's like we we're hitting these new generations of of professionals who are are not doing the traditional college profession kind of thing you know there's yeah, a lot of entrepreneurs yeah, yeah, out there yeah there's a lot of you're people who are pursuing like service and technical careers as well um so i think there's there's an aspect you can really relate to with bartending that could cross over that could really fascinate people and to me i think that's that's the show that would have an opportunity <laughs> and it's to kind bring of break more people in too i mean once once you have and i think now that the industry is on the upswing now, 
mostly because of these alternative, um, the life choices that a lot of people are making as opposed to probably where we came up with go to high school, go to college, you know, graduate, go in the workforce or go to professional school or grad school or whatever you do. Now today, because of the Anthony Bourdain's, um, everybody wants to travel now. Hmm. I think, uh, and, and especially I probably seen more black people traveling around the world at this point so which changes you know something else now bar has also began to grow because when you're going to these places they also have good bar scenes if i'm over in europe you know i can go to a good bar even if it's not like a real crafty bar it's the fact that you just appreciate how they're doing something if i come to new orleans i mean it's a bar at every corner i mean <laughs> right walking around a neighborhood bar you know like what i just saw uh the irish pub that's over here uh well 12 mile limit there i mean these are neighborhood bars something cool to see or hotels mm-hmm. and how have the hotels really developed i think that is so present today that maybe in the next three to five years you may see that type of show that brings everybody in because I'm sure our parents and cousins and friends really want to know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Like they, they see it, but they're like, yo, how did, how are you in GQ? Like, how did you like, <laughs> oh, goodness. at first it was, so when are you going to school? And now it's, Oh, I'm so proud of you. Like, what you doing? <laughs> Let me take these magazines back to grandma's. I still don't had. think I've gotten that from my mom. Like, you know, <laughs> even like Bombay Sapphire competition in GQ magazine. I don't, th- I still don't think I got that. I'm so proud of the decisions you've made in your life. <laughs> yeah. I think even if no matter how many competitions I would ever have won in my life, I don't think my mom would have ever been really satisfied with my lot if I actually didn't own a bar. Mm. I think that was the way for me, her to be like, Oh, my son, the business owner. You know, that's yeah. different. It's a different presentation to her. I was, that's, <laughs> sewing circle she doesn't cool. have a sewing circle but you know that so uh let's wrap up a little bit um i i think we said that there is no currently there is no current celebrity bartender out there that we could point at and be like okay everybody knows who that person is as a bartender uh let's talk about the qualities that are necessary for somebody to break through that barrier and to become that personality and let's have a little bit of fun with this let's say uh besides cole who's already said he could host his own show let's uh <laughs> let's try and think of we some people co-host we're doing it now <laughs> uh, Back at the scenes, I could edit it. <laughs> I'll learn video editing. Uh, uh, but let's think of people that we know that we think uh, would be great hosts. And I don't think this is a hard thing because the big irony to me, and uh, this is a generalization um, because I know lots of really nice cooks, but in general, uh, a lot of the people who work in the back of the house and a lot of chefs are not the most personable people in the world. It's kind of like this, uh, it's kind of a, a, a haven for a lot of people who are not extremely sociable they don't want to have to directly deal with customers that's what kitchens have provided so i find it ironic that when you've got bartenders who entire job is to be in front of the public and hosting people the entire time Mm -hmm. that they're not they don't have their own shows you just wouldn't be good in front of the scene but then you've got like chefs who are like you know like they've got to go through so much media training to be like okay stop cursing don't be (laughs) don't drink too much (laughs) Anyways, um, uh, so let's start. Let's start with Cole. Who do I think would be a good? Who do I think could has all the tools to be a celebrity bartender right exactly. now? Exactly, and what those tools are. Um, I think in in the spirit of our 
almost every episode giving a shout out of one kind or another to the Cure family of bars and restaurants. I think Cure Co. partner Kirk Estopanol is one of the people I just, I, I, every time I've ever had a conversation with him, I come away feeling like I've learned something. I'm entertained by the interaction. He's kind. He's honest. He's good looking guy. Uh, he's comfortable on camera. I've seen him in those environments before. I think he's got really the, he's the whole package and, and he's very, very successful. Like he's done a lot of consulting. He can, he could go and tell people how to run their bar in a way that would probably be slightly less confrontational because that's just not really his style but very engaging and fun and informative and uh, i i would watch kirk I would watch kirk read the phone book too so i mean that's just part of it he's just fun to be around what you got mike besides myself <laughs> <laughs> for for, tra- no, uh, for travel uh, channel you want to co-host a show this let, be a let me say hey i would love to let's let's uh i would say Someone who's rising and I don't think she understands how, well, she probably does, but Tiffany Barrier. Okay. Uh, yeah, she's great. In Atlanta. She's amazing. Um, one, her presence, but two, I don't think it's a person who's met her and they're <laughs> not captivated. I mm-hmm. mean, the energy that she has and how she takes over the room and how she bar, even more than the bartending. You know, it's everything else. You feel warm. It feels like she's taking you in. Um, I think that she would be a great person. We're talking personality, mm-hmm. right? Because that's really what we're selling here. This person's personality for a show. Um, I think that she would be good. And the fact that she's a woman and the fact that she's a black woman and the fact that she's a lesbian black woman, like mm. it's, I mean, it's, yeah. uh, she, she basically got all, she got everything covered. Damn it. Mm. I'm out of the race. Yeah. No, she's <laughs> definitely, we, 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 I, I, I talked myself. Never mind. There, there, there have been a lot of conversations in the industry in the last couple of years, really, that, that, that people have actually started talking about the lack of representation, that there aren't enough people of color, especially in the, the craft cocktail world, that there aren't enough people of color, drastically underrepresented. Women are not always welcomed, but either in craft or other bartenders. It's traditionally a boys club. It still very much remains so. And I don't know that I'm, I'm sure that those barriers exist for um, people of different sexual orientations, but I've, I've heard less of those conversations specifically. But yeah, finding someone who is all three of those Venn diagram circles overlapping and is also just a better bartender than 99.9% of the population. You know, you know, it, it's, it's something to be addressed in, in it, and it will be addressed. Uh, but again, it is growing. Right. So in the beginning, obviously, you know, you, it was Del DeGroff who were, who was doing this thing. Well, in the resurgence, you had him. I mean, and we could talk about Colin. I mean, in, uh, New York, well, from England or from London and what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and how you say his last name? Apia? Colin. Apia something. A- yeah. yeah. We, we all Colin, know. Colin, we know you. <laughs> Colin with McCarthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But he, but I mean, you have somebody like him who I was looking at YouTube videos on him, like, you know, four or five, five years ago mm-hmm. when I was just getting into it. Um, but I think more than that, uh, we can't forget like the influences. Like I wasn't influenced really by bartenders as much as I was chefs. Mm. 
I mean, if it wasn't for Chef Dwayne Nutter and Chef Ty Richards, that honestly, I would tell people they're the best chefs in the United States of mm. America. And together, they're probably the top three chefs in the world when yeah. they're teamed up together. I mean, these men made me want to come in, know every single product that I have just because I haven't seen that. Now, these are two black men that are uh in the kitchen and they were able to influence me just because they were doing that. And then now you have the Tiffany's and, you know, myself and this and that that's influencing more. And I think as this keeps opening up and we see ourselves in the industry, because most of the times when you look, you're not, you want to identify with, and what do I identify with? I can't identify with Jerry Thomas, but I can identify with uh Cato Alexander, mm-hmm. you know, Tom Bullock. I can, and most people don't even know who they are. These are black bars. I mean, we talking 19, early 19th century, mm-hmm. <laughs> like with these guys, and they mm-hmm. were there. They were definitely present. Uh, the Black Mixology Club, uh, of DC, Maryland, and all that went on during the mid 19th century. And there were many bartenders, um, around that time. I mean, you, it's just finding it. And God bless David Wondrich <laughs> because it, I mean, here's a, he, he's definitely TV worthy. <laughs> I would watch Dave Wanders on TV. Yeah, I would watch them. I would watch Dave just talk. <laughs> Steve, who's your uh, who's your ready for the big time bartender? Uh, it's, for me, it's a little bit different because I, I think, like you know, when you talk about like refinement in social media, like this person is in a way very much the opposite of that. Like this is somebody who um, has been very influential for me, and um, you know, being Asian and trying to. You know, uh, <laughs> trying to make my way in the cocktail community, there was definitely some times where I just felt like, you know, like it was difficult for me, like to get to get a foothold, and I didn't have like a lot of people I could look at as like, you know, you know, as as good examples for myself in the industry. Um, but Jeffrey Wilson, uh, you know, he was uh, somebody I made friends with very quickly down here. Uh, he was a black bartender. He was working at Loa at the time. Um, and we just kind of related very much on this aspect of just like, you know, we're people of color in this industry and, you know, like, you know, we're going to make our own way when we need to, you know, like he was very, he's very blunt. He's a very blunt person. He says it the way that it needs to be. And, um, it's, it's great. Like it really is. He's, he's always inspired me to just, um, he's, uh, very much, uh, always inspired me to just, you know, if, if those opportunities aren't available, you know, make those opportunities, make sure your voice is heard and everything like that. He's out on the West coast now, but I mean, he's just a very interesting person as well. He, um, you know, 90% of what he does is taking care of his wife, um, who, uh, who has a terminal illness, which is, um, you know, very, very admirable for him. That's why he had to move from new Orleans to Arizona. Now he's up in Portland. Um, but before that, uh, he owned a, he partially owned a record record label up in Chicago. Like he's just an incredibly fascinating person. Like he's somebody who like, I used to be able to go to his apartment and just talk to him for hours. Like, and honestly, I think that is just like one of those facets of hospitality. You know, it's like, you don't have to just be like fluffy and nice and inviting all the time. Maybe there's a, a matter of just being real. You know, he's got a realness to him, which I think is just like kind of pulls the industry into perspective a little bit. And I appreciate him. And he's coming down for tales of the cocktail this year. He's crashing my house. I'm very much looking forward to that. <laughs> we all are. I miss Jeffrey. You're crashing at my house too. Uh, I will if Jeffrey is. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, guys. So um, we're running a little bit long on time here, um, like we always do here at Around with Stephen Cole. We want to thank our uh, special guest real quick. Uh, uh, Mike, why don't you give us a little send-off here? Tell us where you work at. Where can we find you forever in the ATL? Yes. Um, if any of you that are listening are in Atlanta, Georgia, you can visit me at the Consulate Atlanta. We are not the consulate, <laughs> U.S. consulate. I know I get a lot of phone calls but <laughs> about passports, uh, but we are <laughs> the consulate Atlanta um, located in Midtown um, at 10 10th Street, um, Atlanta, Georgia, right there in Midtown. Um, please come to come to visit us. Come visit me. Um, we're open for dinner only from 5 to 11, Monday through Saturday. Yeah. All righty. Well, this has been another episode of Around with Stephen Cole. I'm T. Cole Newton. I'm Steve Yamada, and we will catch you next week.